into uh, Revelation chapter 4. And the question is, is where is the church? Where is the church? The church is conspicuously missing from chapter 6 through 18. It is not mentioned at all. What happened to the church? If you would, stand for reading of God's word. Our text will be 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 10. Now, this speaks of the day of the Lord. This is a day of the Lord. This is when Jesus comes back, and he's going to get control of this earth. Now, just prior to the day of the Lord, we have the rapture verses in chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. So the rapture happens first, and then we go into the day of the Lord. Now, you'll learn more about that in just a few seconds. So, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. You are not of the night nor of the darkness. When you see the night or the darkness, this speaks of the tribulation period. You are not a part of that. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let, it, let, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And this is the key, for God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live with Him together with him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we can study your word. It's particularly uh, poignant for this, particular, this, this time that we're living in as we're seeing the devolving of our world and the soon you coming and the evolving of the kingdom of God. Lord, we can't wait for you to come. But in the meantime, we are to occupy... We are to be aware of what's going on. We want to hear from you today what you want to teach us regarding these things that are coming. Thank you for the blessed hope that we have of the great escape, the rapture of the church. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, like I said, the church is conspicuously missing between chapters 6 through 18 in Revelation. What happened to the church? Well, first of all, facts regarding this missing entity of the church. It is not mentioned in the Old Testament. There are no Old Testament passages that mentions the church. The church is a New Testament concept. Also, it's not mentioned in regarding the tribulation period. These are tribulation saints. These are not church saints. These are tribulation saints. So when did the church start? Well, you know it because you're Bible students. The church started at Pentecost and will continue until the rapture of the church. There's something called the fullness of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles is a set number of Gentiles that will be saved over a set period of time. Our text is Romans chapter 11, verse 25, says this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, this mysterion, this thing that wasn't mentioned in the Old Testament but is mentioned now. Paul's mentioning it. Lest you be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part, and let that just echo in your minds, in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, and then all of Israel will be saved. There will be a fullness of the Gentiles, the Gentiles will be taken out, and then God will refocus on the people of Israel, his chosen people, during that last week 
of the 70 weeks of Daniel. So, it's not mentioned in the Old Testament. We talked about the fullness of the Gentiles. Remember, the church is the ecclesia, the called out ones. You have been called out from all over the world to be the people of God, to spread the news about the people of God. The church's commission has been given to you by Jesus, and it's to every believer. There are no exclusions in this. There's no exemptions. There's nobody to say, well, I don't really feel like I'm not gifted in that area of sharing. I'm not no, everybody is to do this, to do their part. And this Matthew 28, 19 through 20, and it is the Great Commission, go. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And he gives us this great word, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What does that mean? It means it's not just for the disciples, this commission. It's low with all of us to the end of the age. This is our job, our commission. Now, God's plan for planet Earth knowing him started with the nation of Israel. You know God had a chosen people that all the earth was running from God. To Genesis chapter 11, when the Tower of Babel was built and the ziggurat was built, and they were trying to worship the, the gods of the heavens, the false gods. And God says, no, you will not do this. He confused their language. They were spread all over. And God chose one man out of this earth, a moon god worshiper named Abraham. And from him came the nation of Israel. And they had the responsibility to tell the world about the true God, not the false gods that were, that, that, that were all over the place, but the true God. And they disobeyed over hundreds of years, over hundreds of years, warning, warning from prophet after prophet. They rejected God, and they served the gods of the other nations. What was the result? When you reject God over a period of time, and America is experiencing this now as we've rejected God, look, at the, look where we're at. Look where we're living today. You talk about a devolving nation right before our eyes because we have rejected the true God. What happened in Israel? God divorced the ten northern tribes in Jeremiah chapter 3.8. And then the Assyrians came in 722 B.C. The evil Assyrians took those 10 10 tribes, and they went into captivity. Judah, seeing what happened, played the harlot, and they went into Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C., but God did not divorce Judah. Why? Because of the Davidic covenant. God had a promise that he made David there would be someone on his throne in perpetuity. And he separated from them. So the Davidic covenant we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 16. You can read it for yourself. Now, the Jews have gone into captivity. Judah's in captivity. They're in Babylonian captivity. Daniel was one of the prophets that went into captivity. Daniel was given, and we spent much time on this, the 70 weeks prophecy. So Daniel 9, 24 through 27, he was given a prophecy the 70-week prophecy that would tell us how much time was left for the nation of Israel. You see, Israel went into captivity because for 70 years. The length of the captivity was because they didn't keep the land Sabbath for 490 years. And God says, you're going to pay me back my Sabbath. And so they go into captivity for 70 years. The reason they go into captivity is that God has had it up to here with the nation of Israel. He says, no more with King Manasseh who is worshiping other gods, spitting in God's face, and ultimately the sacrifice of children, 
And God says, okay, because of Manasseh, you're going into captivity. So the length of the captivity is because they, they broke the Sabbaths. The reason that the kings became more and more and more corrupt to Manasseh, and he says, no more, and he put them into captivity. Now, the 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. That was Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. That is a total. We went over this in depth. That's 490 years. These are weak years. The 70 weeks prophecy are weak years, 490 years that would be allotted to the nation. So they were given 490 years before this whole thing would have wrapped up. Okay? But what happened was Messiah came, and they had to receive the Messiah. And at the 483-year point, he would be cut off, killed, and rejected by the nation of Israel. And for the nation of Israel, time stopped. 483 years, boom, and then it stopped. It stopped. Israel was set apart for a time as God refocuses attention on a new entity called the church, called the church. That's right. For this 2,000 years or so, we have been in the church age. Now, there's a gap between 483 and 490 is a church age, and you will see here something that may be familiar to you. These are 69 weeks years, times seven would be 483 years that the nation of Israel had until Messiah was cut off. Then we had the church age for 2,000 plus years, which will end, I believe, at the rapture of the church. The tribulation period begins in Daniel 9.27 when the covenant is signed with Antichrist, a, a peace or a protection covenant. And then the seven-year, the seven-year tribulation period starts. The whole seven years are designed to, for God to get the attention of Israel and for Israel to turn back to the true God. The church is not part of that seven-year period of time. Do you understand that? That's an important concept to understand. So when the church is removed at the rapture, God will refocus on the nation of Israel to complete the last week, not the last three and a half days, not the last six days, the last week. There are people that are mid-trib believe it's the three and a half days. The people that are pre-wrath believe it goes all the way almost to the very end, and then Jesus comes back. To be consistent with Daniel's prophecy, the church must be removed at the beginning of the last week, the last seven years. The church must be gone for the entire week for God to focus on his people. This is an important concept that one must grasp if they're going to understand this pre-tribute, the significance of the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, I have an overhead here of the rapture comparisons. You have seen this before, and in the past, I credited this to Andy Woods. Okay, I got it from his website. However, in subsequent searching of the Internet, I discovered that Andy got it from someone else. <laughs> So anyway, it just keeps rolling down. Well, I don't know who made this thing then. Well, I believe, and I don't know what you believe, you can believe in a mid-trib or a post-trib or even just a second coming and be a Christian and be orthodox. There's very strong believers, very credible teachers that believe this. But I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture that we're taken out before the seven-year tribulation. The mid-trib would be Marv Rosenthal and a host of others who believe that the, the mid-tribulation period is when the abomination of desolation comes and then Jesus starts to pour out his wrath after that. I'm going to make an argument that the wrath starts here. At the beginning of the last 
week, the last seven years, pre-tribulation rapture. Post-tribulationists like the Reformed people just believe in a single second coming where Jesus will come back. And again, this is Orthodox Christianity. This is very credible Christianity. I just don't see it this way in the Bible. And then there's pre-wrath where you go through the whole thing past the mid-trib all the way probably to the last trumpet and bull judgments where they believe happens at the very end, and then we're taken out, and then we come back to reign in the millennial kingdom. So that's the different views. Now, I'm going to try to convince you of a pre-trib view, and if you don't hold to that, that is fine. That is fine. Just so that you realize Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. That's the main thing we want to get out of this. So, I want you to think about something. In Revelation chapter 12, there's war in heaven. So, this all has to do with why the focus is on Israel. There's war in heaven. Satan, in his hubris, in his arrogance, thinks he can overthrow the throne of God. And Michael and his angels fight against the dragon. He overthrows them, and they're kicked out of heaven. And in Revelation 12, 17, he's thrown to the ground, and now he's having a fit, and he's turning against the nation of Israel. He wants to kill every Jew. Why? Because he wants to stop the Jews from pleading for, the, for Messiah to come back. If he kills them all, then they can't do that. So watch what it says in 12, 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, which is Israel, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, and that's the ones that have escaped into Petra. And if you read further, that army that chases these folks that are going into Petra gets garbled up, the earth takes them out. And and their offspring, which I think are the tribulation saints, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the church, the focus of the tribulation period is the nation of Israel. Satan is going to try to kill every Jew possible in the tribulation period. He's going to look like a friendly person up to the three-and-a-half-year point, but at that point, the abomination of desolation comes, and he turns on the Jews, and he tries to kill every one of them. It is at that three-and-a-half-year point that I believe that he's booted out of heaven, and he's having a fit, okay? So God's focus in the tribulation period is on Israel returning to him. It is not the church. The church is gone. The church is not mentioned. This is glaring, and it is very much worth your considering when you're you're thinking about the timing of the rapture. So, why the church is not present? Why, Why is it not present? Why is it not there? Well, I think it's because the church will not experience the wrath of God. Now, we have a general wrath of God that is expressed on all humanity that who has rejected Jesus. See, people don't want to hear about God being a wrathful God. They want to hear God being loving and kind and gentle. That he is. But God does not suspend one of his attributes at the cost of another attribute. He is also righteous, and he is holy, and he is wrathful on those who will reject his son, who will reject his son. Listen to this verse, Romans 1, 18 through 19, on the general wrath of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness in this world. What you are seeing in our streets today, what you see in our world today, this is, this is, this God, this is distasteful to God. The wrath of God is against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them. For God has shown it to them. 
So look at all of humanity has a revelation about the true God. It starts with creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. We have the macro creation, the, the, the vastness of the creation, the continued expansion of the creation, the order of the macro creation. Everything is structured in an order. We have an orderly God. He holds it all together, it says in Colossians. Jesus holds the whole thing together. That is the thing to be considered. And then we have it all the way down to the micro-creation, right down to the cell level and the DNA. You know that, remember, DNA is encoded information. It is telling the cell how to function, how to, what, it is to, what a specific function is. You cannot have encoded information without an encoder. It is impossible. It is impossible. So you also have your conscience. God has given every human a conscience. They know what is right with knowledge, that is conscience. And then God has written his law on the heart of every single human. No matter where you go on this earth, people know what is right and they know what is wrong. They know that you don't steal. They know that you don't do adultery. You know that you don't break the Ten Commandments. It's written on the hearts of people all over the place. There are no exclusions. And then God has put eternity in the hearts of every human. The deer running through your backyard, they don't have any idea what eternity is. Your dog doesn't know what eternity is. But every human being in every world religion has something that they're looking for, something more than just this. It's intuitive. God has put it into us. The unbeliever's relationship to the kingdom of darkness, folks, will mandate they experience the darkness and the wrath of the day of the Lord. So what is the day of the Lord? What is the day of the Lord? Well, I think it's a time period when Jesus Christ will take complete control of the earth. It culminates, it really, in, in Revelation 11:5, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and this Christ, and he shall reign forever. That's when Jesus says, okay, this is it. I am taking over, and I will reign forever and ever. I believe that it begins with, with the tribulation period and it extends through the millennial reign of Christ. Now, that's kind of something I should make you a little bit thoughtful. Why does the day of the Lord include the millennial reign of Christ? See, there's still rebellion going on even in the millennial kingdom. Did you know that? Did you know that? In a perfect environment, with a perfect government, with a perfect king, with all the needs of the people met, there's still going to be rebellion. Everyone that goes into the millennial reign of Christ, all the people that have been saved in the tribulation that, are, that go into the millennial reign of Christ, they are, they're all saved, but they will have children. And those children will have a time period where they can either say yes to Jesus to rule over them or no to Jesus to rule over them. And it is an amazing thing that people will choose their own way, even in a perfect world, in a perfect king, in a perfect government, with everything perfect, they will choose to follow their own ways. That is the depravity of man. That is sinfulness. Folks, we sin because we love to sin. That's, that's the deal with sin. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 65, 20. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days nor old man not fulfill his days. For the child shall die at 100 years old. Everybody's going to live to be at least 100. But listen to this last statement. 
but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. This is in the millennial reign of Christ. The sinner will be accursed. That's kind of strange. Satan has been thrown into the pit for a thousand years in Revelation chapter 20 before the millennial reign starts. So there's no demonic influence here. The Antichrist and the false prophet have been thrown into the lake of fire in Revelation 19. So what we see here is at the very end of this millennial time frame, Satan is loosed for a short period of time to test and to tempt the nations. I always wonder, why in the world did God do that? Why would he do that? And he tempts them, and those who stumble and those who follow him, it says in Revelation 20, verse 7 through 9, they have that whole section, are as the sand of the sea. There are multiple, multiple thousand, who knows how many people are going to fall for this. And then God sends down fire from heaven, he devours them, and that's the end of that whole thing. Now the question is, is why? Why release Satan for this period of time? And it's hard to know the answer to this, but I think the answer, at least this could be a credible answer, may be that all humanity has to be tempted by evil. They all have to be tempted, and Satan is the evil one, and he is going to test and tempt those on the earth. And many, many, many will choose to follow him. And that shows you how deceiving, how charismatic, how absolutely impressive Satan is. That people in that environment who know Jesus Christ exists and reigns, knows this whole thing is true, are going to choose to follow Satan. And that is an astounding thing, an astounding thing. The day of the Lord will be complete in the eternal state. After the millennial reign of Christ, there's a great white throne judgment where all the lost people are judged, the earth dwellers, the rebellious angels, and they're thrown into the lake of fire forever. And in chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation, we go into the eternal state. There will be perfection. There, there'll never be any more sin. That is what we have to look forward to. So, with this stated, remember this. At the eternal state, everything is made new. All rebellion in the universe is put down. Because of the believer's relationship to the kingdom of light, the saved will not experience the wrath of God. And I believe we don't experience the whole weak. The whole weak is the wrath of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, we read it earlier. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. And remember, darkness is the tribulation period. Is the tribulation period. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. So the day of the Lord should overtake you. We're not in darkness. Why? Because we're out of here. We're out of here. Remember, our world is devolving. It is not evolving. Look, they want to do a one-world government because they think it's going to get better and better and better as humans rule. Well, I'm telling you, that has never worked in the history of Earth. The only time that governments have gotten better is when they've submitted to Christ, when they've submitted to God. They've always gotten worse when they try to do their own thing. Look at every communist country. You look at the state of how people live in those countries in fear and loss of freedom. That is exactly how they live. Exit God, exit freedom. So we're looking at globalism. Anti-godness is off the charts in our world today. The Laodicean church of apostasy reigns today. And like the days of Noah, 
so shall it be at the second coming of Christ. We have lawlessness that is abounding. And Jesus even said when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? Amazing statement. Folks, we've been given a heads up. We are to know what is to expect. And how many times did he say to these churches, he who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church will not experience the day of the Lord. It will not experience the wrath of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9 and 10, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. In Revelation 3.10, doesn't specifically mention the wrath of God, but mentions something else, maybe even more significantly. Because you have kept my command to persevere, this is the church of Philadelphia, this is the faithful church, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, perissimos, testing, temptation, which shall come upon the whole world. It'll be a global thing. See, all through the history of humanity, there's been isolated awfulness. But this awfulness will be global all over the world. And what, how, why? To test those who dwell on, the fa- dwell on the earth. To test the earth dwellers. To test those who are in rebellion against God. To give them a chance to come into the family of God. If you remember, there are three specific things that God does in the tribulation that encourages people to come to him. Number one, and you know it's right at the tip of your tongue, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists through the tribulation period be witnessing. The second things are the two witnesses in Jerusalem. They're going to be witnessing that Antichrist can't kill till the very end. And then they die in the streets. They're raised up, and it's just an amazing thing. And They go to heaven. And then you have the three angels in Revelation chapter 14, and one of them gives the gospel message to every human on earth. So everyone hears the gospel message. Mark Hitchcock has this to say, gives us some insight in his book, The End, about this time frame and the seven years and that sort of thing. He says, in my view, quote, the problem with the pre-wrath, mid-trib, post-trib views is that all 19 judgments in Revelation 6 through 18 are God's wrath. The entire tribulation is made up of consistent judgments from God himself against a rebellious world. Remember, everyone in the tribulation period are haters of God. There will become believers, but the vast majority are going to be haters. The seal judgments opened at the onset of the tribulation are unleashed one by one. Not by man, not by Satan, not by Antichrist, but the Lamb himself in Revelation 6.1. Folks, this is God's doing. This is not Satan doing. God will not allow his bride to suffer the devastation of the tribulation. Another point to consider, and while I'm saying this, I would like you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 15 through 17. This is an important concept to consider concerning the wrath of God. God uses people, kings, and kingdoms to carry out his wrath. And I want to make a case that the first four seal judgments, those are the 
the four horsemen of the apocalypse that are, people are most familiar with, the rider on the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale-colored horse, these are antichrist things that he's doing, but I want to suggest to you it is God that is behind this whole thing. God behind this whole thing. Now, 2 Chronicles 36, 15 through 17. The setting, Jerusalem is going to fall. God has had it with the nation of Israel. They're going to go into their 70 years of captivity, and Babylon is coming. Nebuchadnezzar is coming. The Chaldeans are coming. And watch what God says to the people. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, which would be the prophets, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. What does it mean, rising up early? He started years before, hundreds of years before, prophet after prophet after prophet, and they rejected and they stiff-armed the prophets. But they mocked the messengers of God. Is that happening today? Are the messengers of God being mocked today? You bet they are. Despised his words, scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people. Notice it's wrath. Till there was no remedy. That wrath is the word kema, and it means anger, wrath, rage, indignation. Now watch what happens. How does this, how is this wrath expressed? Therefore he, God, brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, that's Nebuchadnezzar, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of the sanctuary and had no compassion on the young man or virgin on the age of the week. He gave them all into his hand. I'm suggesting to you that Nebuchadnezzar is an extension of God's wrath. Antichrist is an extension of God's wrath. In Psalm, in Psalms chapter 106, verse 40. Don't turn there, I'm there. Let me read this to you. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord was kindled. This is a different word for wrath, and it actually means nostrils flaring. You ever see like a bull that's getting ready to gore somebody, and their nostrils are flaring? That's the, that's the anger. That's what is pictured here. Nostrils flaring, extreme anger, wrath. The wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people so that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles. This would be Assyrian and Babylonian captivity. And those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. God is using people as an extension of his wrath. The last one is Ezra 5.12. But because our fathers provoked the God of heavens to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, let me just ask you, do you think it's possible, just possible, that God may be using Antichrist as an extension of his wrath? And I would say yes. Maybe you disagree. That's okay, but I've tried to make an argument for that. So, what I want you to think about there is that the Lamb starts the wrath by opening the seals. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, you can turn there right quick if you would. I'm going to give you the cliff notes on it. This is the, the scene is heaven. And John is in the, in, in, in the heavens, and he's before the throne of God, and he has this vision. This is what he sees. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and back, sealed with seven seals. So there's a seven-sealed scroll. 
written on the front and the back, and we know that this is a deed. This is some sort of authority. This is, I believe it's a deed to earth, deed to earth. And there's a strong angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who's worthy to open the scroll? Who's worthy to open it? Nobody in heaven, nobody on earth, nobody on nobody could open the scroll. So what does John do? He laments. He knows the importance of this. And he goes into this, this weeping fit. And then an elder comes forth in verse 5. He says, oh, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He can open the scroll. And in verse 7, Jesus goes up to the Father. And he takes the scroll out of Father's right hand. And Jesus is going to open the scroll. And I have this picture for you, two pictures of the scroll. This is, this, this is well, can you give the, second, the other picture, Maritza? Okay, then this is the only picture you get today. <laughs> this is the scroll. Now, I want you to, to look at this. Those seals are opened one at a time. And the scroll is not just rolled up in a ball. I had another picture like that. It was rolled up in a ball, and you would kind of unleash it like this. No, no, it's separate, and it unrolls this way. And you take the seal off, one seal, and that reveals the first seal judgment. And then the next seal, and the next seal, all the way down through the sixth seal, and then the sixth seal opens the, the seventh seal opens the trumpet judgments. And then the seventh trumpet judgments opens the bowl judgments. All the judgments in Revelation, seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments are contained in here. This is Jesus telling us in perpetuity forever how he's going to do this thing of reclaiming the earth. And we have it right before our eyes. This is Jesus. The four horsemen, folks, I believe, are the wrath of God. All seven seals are judgments of God. All the judgments are from God. After the seven seal scroll is completed, Jesus will take the throne. Now, prior to the day of the Lord, prior to the tribulation period, at some unknown time, now some people believe that the rapture of the church will occur just before the day of the Lord. However, there's no timing that is indicated there. It could be weeks. It could be years. It could be tens of years. We could be out of here way before the day of the Lord starts. But we will be out of here before this thing starts. So I want to just go through through this with you, the rapture sequence. One more time. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17 will give you the rapture sequence. I will have this on the screen, each verse that is pertinent to you. First of all, there's seven sequential steps. They happen in order. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. This is Jesus coming in the air. He returns to earth's atmosphere. He doesn't come down to earth like he does at the second coming. This is very different. He comes in the air, and he does it with a shout, a military command as a chief commander. Now, remember, when Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, he ascended, and, and, and these disciples saw him doing this elevation. And what did the angels say to these disciples? This same Jesus will come in like manner. He went up silently. He went up into the clouds. And we see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus comes down silently. He comes down in the clouds. And every eye sees him. Every eye is not seeing this. This is quick. You're going to see that in just a second. Very different instances. 
with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. I think Michael repeats Jesus' command. With the trumpet of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, 52, we see a little expansion of what this might be. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I'm telling you, when you hear this trumpet, the second you hear that, you're there. It is done. I mean, a twinkling of an eye is the fastest time thing that we know. Some people have calculated it. Years ago, I looked this up, and somebody said it was one six billionth of a second. That is incredible speed. The trumpet of God will sound, the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That last trumpet is called the Tico Gedola. The Tico Gedola, it's the last trump. It's the great trump. Not our president, but the great trump of God, okay? The last trump is blown at the Feast of Trumpets. It indicates redemption, resurrection, restoration of Israel. There are people that try to make an argument that that trumpet is the trumpet judgments. Not so. Listen to Arnold Fruchtenbaum. He says, 1 Corinthians is joyous. And then he goes on to say, one simply cannot make a case that the trumpet judgments are the last trump and that the church will be going through the tribulation as some claim. The trumpet judgments are over a period of time. The last trump is one-sixth billionth of a second. Two very different things. Then the next thing, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Everyone that has passed before us, they get to go ahead of us. They get a little jump start. Now, maybe it's one-seventh billionth of a second. You know, they get a little little jump start. So they're, they're transformed. They get their body, their incorruptible bodies. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Harpazo. Remember that name. Harpazo. Caught up. That's the rapture. Together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. We who are still alive at the time, we will meet the Lord. We'll get our glorified bodies. Our new bodies. Yes. Yes, at the second coming, Jesus physically comes to the earth to defeat Antichrist. Here we're caught up into the air. And just a side note, the word rapture is not found in your Bible. It is found in the Latin Bible. The word caught up, harpazo, is the word rapeo, where we get our word rapture. And finally, the final thing that happens, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now look it. Some people believe that we get caught up, oh, make a U-turn and come right back down and get involved in the fight. We're actually, we're not in a fight. We're watching Jesus do the fight. But then get caught up and come back down. I don't believe that is what happens. I think we get caught up because what did Jesus say in John chapter 14? He gives us a heads up on what's going to happen. In my Father's house are many rooms. If I were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come to receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. Where's Jesus say he's taking us? Are we making a U-turn and coming back down here and fighting with the Antichrist? No, we're going to Father's house. We're going to Father's house. So there's a sequence of events for the bride in heaven. And I want you to realize, first of all, that all humans will be judged, saved and unsaved. We are judged for our works after salvation. The unsaved are judged for their sins at the great white throne judgment. Everyone will be found inadequate. Those who are not covered with the blood of Christ, have not believed Jesus, will be thrown into the lake of fire. A general statement here that I think is helpful 
is found in Luke 21, 34 through 36. Luke says this, But take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, that that day come on you unexpectedly. In other words, keep watch. Don't become lazy. Don't go to sleep. Be sober. Keep alert. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Who are those? Those are the earth dwellers. That's not the belief. That's the earth dwellers. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy. Now watch this. To escape half of these things. No, it doesn't say three quarters of these things. No, it doesn't say it says all of these things that will come to pass and that you will stand before the Son of Man. You know what I think happens? The instant that we hear that trumpet, the next thing on the events is the Bema Seat Judgment, where we get rewards or loss of rewards for what we have done for Christ after we're saved. Are your works important? Yes, they are. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works for his honor and his glory. First, 2 Corinthians 5.10, our work will be judged. 1 Corinthians 3.10 through 15, the, it'll be the quality of your work, not the quantity of your work. The quality of your work. You receive rewards or loss of rewards. And then after that, some time frame, nobody knows, but it'll be the marriage ceremony in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8, where we're actually wed to Jesus. The whole thing is consummated at that time. And when Jesus comes back, it is the marriage supper in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, with the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints, and it's the great celebration with all the believers of all time. But the church is the crown jewel of the whole thing. It's an amazing thing. You are special. You are special. You're part of the church of the Lord Jesus. In closing, I believe, maybe you don't believe this, but I believe that the church will not experience the wrath of God. All, all rapture folks believe that. They just believe that wrath occurs at a different point, at a different point. Some pre-trib, some mid-trib, some pre-wrath. And again, let me emphasize there are exceptional Bible teachers that hold these other positions. So we will know if there's some sort of peace covenant signed, you immediately switch to a pre-wrath mid-trib position, okay? <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the arrogance to say that it's exactly the way I think it's going to be. The church is central in all the New Testament and is conspicuously missing in chapters 6 through 18. You have to at least admit that. God's focus in this present age is his church and his church disseminating information about himself to the world. The nation of Israel didn't do that. That is our job. Do not become complacent because it seems overwhelming now. Do not think that people aren't going to want to hear because they're screaming in your face or something. I mean, be discerning. But don't be afraid to share with people the truth of the gospel. God is still working on people in America. There is still hope. So as present as the church is focused, has changed from Israel in the tribulation period. Ah, Arnold Fruchtenbaum in his Footsteps of Messiah gives us three reasons for the tribulation period. And he goes on to say none of these involve the church to make an end of wickedness and the wicked one, to finally have Satan stop his scheme 
of killing every Jew on earth. A great worldwide revival, and we know there's a, there's a terrific revival that happens in Revelation chapter 7, 9, and 10. There are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, how do we know it's not the church? See, a lot of people make an argument that's the church. There's a revival in the church at this time. And it, because it says in, ch- in, verse, in chapter 7, 14, these came out of the great tribulation. He could have said church. These are the church, but he never did. These are the ones, these are tribulation saints. And finally, the third thing is to break the will of the holy people. That's Daniel chapter 12, verse 7. It will take the entire tribulation period down to literally days before the end, before the Jews will say, he is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And they'll weep for the ones that they pierced. The seven-year tribulation period is an unspeakable carnage unspeakable carnage. Recall what the Jewish people must do. They have to do two things, confess their national sin of rejecting Messiah, and they have to plead for him to return. Remember Jesus talking in Matthew 23, 37? He says to Jerusalem, he knows Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, and he's lamenting it. He goes, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate. You'll see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You won't see me until you say that. You won't see me until you accept me, until you believe me. The tribulation period is designed to break the will of the holy people. God's focus is on Israel during the 70th week of Daniel, the final seven years of history, and I believe it's the entire week. It is the utmost importance that you grasp what has been taught this week. Incredible changes are occurring on our world. All of it is a prelude to this amazing time called the Day of the Lord. And it'll be horrific, terrifying time. Look, I cannot overstate this. Look, we don't know what terrifying is. We have no idea. The Jewish people, when they came in contact with the Holy God in Exodus chapter 19 on Sinai, were abjectly terrified, falling on the ground and saying to Moses, you go before us. We can't stand before this God. It is too terrifying. We we don't understand the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. I cannot overstate this, but Jesus said this. Matthew 24, 21 says this. There will be great tribulation since has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. That's a heads up from Jesus. This is the worst. This is worse than Cambodia Pol Pot. This is worse than, than Chinese communist overthrow with Mao. This is worse than Russia, Stalin's and Lenin and that sort of thing. This is worse than any atrocity that you can ever think of. It is worse than any time in the history of Earth. Don't be there. Don't be there. Today, people can believe all kinds of things. They believe in all kinds of fanciful things. People are into vampires. Vampires are big. You're all over the TV, all over movies. Martians, that's big. Flying saucers, monsters, channelers, the occult, mysticism. People buy into this stuff. I talked to Granny last week. She told me how heaven was. No, that's, that's demonic stuff. That's demonic stuff. They can believe all this bizarre stuff, but if you tell them something from the Word of God, they go, oh, that's strange. How can I possibly believe that? Yeah. 
What we have discussed, folks, is all true. Jesus is coming back. There is a rapture of the church. Look, at it could be pre-trib, it could be mid-trib, it could be pre-wrath, but there is a rapture of the church that will happen. I believe pre-trib. Now, you can stick with me until we've proven wrong. <laughs> I don't think we will be. I, Lord, please, get us out of here. So all these things are true. Things are unraveling in our world at a breakneck pace. You could see it. Your world has changed since January. It has changed. It's all going on schedule as depicted in Scripture. Jesus gave us a heads up. What did he tell us not to do? Don't fear. Don't tribulate. Don't be afraid. Gather together. Get strength from one another. Encourage one another even more as you see the day approaching. Don't go into a panic like the rest of the world. Don't do that. What we have been discussing is time sensitive. Is time sensitive. Do you think that this COVID virus is just an accident, just a whimsical, capricious thing that just nature just brought onto the world? Oh, no. No, God is getting the attention of humanity. Do you think this lawless mess that's going on in our cities is just coincidence? Or is God getting the attention of humanity and saying, this is what happens without me? You want to have me excluded? This is what you can live with, and way worse is on the horizon. He is getting our attention. Hatred is off the charts, and have you ever seen, now look, at all through my life, every election is, oh, this is the most important election I've ever seen. This is the most important one. If we don't, look, at this could very well be the most important election of our time because our country is on the precipice of changing to something very, very evil. If you have never voted before, please get your little feet moving (laughs) and get to your polling booth and vote. Vote, yes. There's never been a more pressing time for believers to live out their faith than today. Do not cave into this narrative that is going on with the Black Lives Matter. Do we think that black lives are important? Yes, we do. But we do not believe that this anarchy, this communist thing that is going on, is is something to be embraced. We stand against that. We stand against that. Jesus is crying out to everyone, folks. He is crying out to everyone. Come. Revelation 22, 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Look, at there's, there's not much time left. He's screaming to humanity, come. I don't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Come, come. Make this day the best day of your life. Look, at we have mostly saved people here. That's what the church is. It's a teaching to save people. There's people that might be listening on, 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 on the Internet or uh, media, social media. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is the most important thing that you can do, is believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. It is all true. If you believe and receive the gift of salvation, you can live forever. But if you reject this, You'll live separated from God forever. Don't do that. Don't do that. Jesus warns, 
If, that, if you have to pluck out your eye to not go to hell, do that. Cut off your hand. Not do that. He pleaded with people. God sent his son to the world to die for the sins of the world. His plea is to come. Don't you think it's time that you take Jesus seriously and receive the free gift of salvation? Folks, there was a time when there was a flood. Yes, there was a flood. And there was a Noah, and there was an ark, and it started to rain, and the upheaval came. And you know what happened to the, to the, to the ark door? God shut the door. And that was it. And we're right on the precipice of God shutting the door to many lives, to many lives. I would encourage you, come. These are scary times. Would you agree with that? We have never lived in any time like this. And I imagine that you have some degree of disturbance in your being. We're living in scary times, but exciting times. For we who believe, now tell me if you don't believe this, for we who believe, and I think everybody in this room would just scream out, Maranatha. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us a picture. And, and Lord, we're hoping that the church is gone for the whole seven, seven days, the whole thing, the whole seven weeks, and we're not here. We believe this. We believe this. At least I believe this. And, Lord, if we are here, then we'll switch to the other view. The Lord, give us wisdom while we're living through this. We need your strength. This is time for us to band together as a band of brothers and sisters. May we encourage each other as we see the day approaching. May we not be tribulating. May we not go into panic attacks. But may we have our eyes riveted on our God. Holy Spirit, speak to each person that is here today and is hearing the sound of my voice. Speak to each one of us about areas in our lives that we need to deal with. We want to be pleasing to you, Lord. We want to be strong for you even more as we see the day of coming, as see the day approaching. Thank you for this time together. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are in our midst today. Thank you that you are teaching us truths from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.